Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We're happy you could join us. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. So I've got a bit of a, a confession. Um, when I was younger, I went through a bit of a horror movie phase. This started because, uh, and this will give away my age a little bit, was when it was my last day of school, sometime in high school, and me and some friends went and saw The Blair Witch Project, which was a horrific thing that was uh, a found footage uh, movie. So it was about this camcorder that was found in the woods, and you the tapes for what? Did anyone know what camcorders and tapes are? <laughs> That's probably the first terrific thing about it. Anyway, I saw this thing with my friends and then afterwards I was frightened and, and a bit disturbed. But then something about that little rush of being scared, I guess, sort of pulled me back and I thought, oh, I wouldn't mind watching a few more scary films. So I did the Christian thing that we all do when, as Christians, we compromise, as I made up these ridiculous rules about what I would and would not watch to try and justify what I was doing. So I said, nothing too demonic, nothing too violent, and it's okay. And I watched these films. I watched probably, got to one point where I probably watched about a dozen in a week with some friends. And... (laughs) I noticed a bit of a change in myself towards the end of that week. I noticed that I was a bit grumpy, I was a bit cranky, my mind was filled with all sorts of horrible things, and most of all, I was just tired of feeling horrible. (laughs) I was just basically sick of being scared, sick of being anxious, sitting there of an evening and being anxious and going to bed anxious about boogeyman and whatever else. Has anyone ever felt sick of being scared before? Sick of feeling stressed? Sick of feeling uh, anxious? I kind of feel like the last couple of years there's been a lot of fear around. There's been some really big things that have been happening in our world uh, for a long period of time that have affected us pretty acutely over the past couple of years. So, you know, we've been living in fear of COVID. We've been living in fear of losing jobs. We've been in living in fear of natural disasters. Now we're living in fear of war. And when you live in fear or carry fear around for long periods of time, um, it has a negative effect on you. It can cause all sorts of problems with our health, both physically and mentally. So what I wanted to do today is we're actually in the middle of, well, sort of our challenge for the whole year is we're looking at the Gospels. And in looking at the Gospels, we are looking at the life of Jesus and we are finding out more about Jesus. And tonight I want to share one particular aspect from a story in Luke uh, about Jesus. And that is this, that despite how wild and scary and dangerous this world might seem, we have in Jesus a God who is infinitely more powerful than anything else that you might ever face. I really like this series because the the more I uh, find out about Jesus, the more I like him. I really like Jesus. I sound like a strange thing to say because, you know, we sing about loving Jesus all the time, but sometimes I feel there's a bit of a difference, you know, when you, you really like someone. You really just like them, and, uh, and I like so much about Jesus. And hopefully, uh, this is something that encourages you tonight. So the passage is Luke chapter 7, and it's verse 1 to 10. 
When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum, and there a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. Can I just say that there is no fear that grips you more than when someone you love is about to die. Um, so this centurion, uh, he would have been gripped by quite an acute fear when he sends out this request to Jesus. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. They said, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes, and that one come and he comes. I say to this servant do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith, even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Now, this is an amazing story on a number of levels, but let's just acknowledge the first thing, and that is the, uh, the obvious bit, that Jesus spoke a word, just a word, and a man who was about to die, who wasn't anywhere near him, was healed. I'll just say that again. So Jesus spoke a word and a man who was nowhere near him, who was about to die, was healed. It's amazing. And I think sometimes when we look at these miracles, we're familiar with the story. We're like, oh yeah, faith of the centurion, that's a cool one. I remember that from the felt board in Sunday school. But the reality of this story is incredible. But I also want to draw out something else amazing about this this passage, and that is this compliment from Jesus. Imagine getting a compliment from Jesus. Imagine that. I like getting compliments. I really do. Um, But if I got one from Jesus, like I've been complimented many times about my dancing. (laughs) But if I got one from Jesus, it would just be confirmation that I do have a divine gift when I move. I would live on that compliment for, for the rest of my life. This guy gets a compliment from Jesus, and it's a compliment about his faith. How amazing is that? And this guy wasn't even a Jewish man. He was an outsider. He was a Roman. But there was something about this centurion's faith that got Jesus excited. Because this centurion recognized that Jesus had real power and real authority. The reason why the centurion, I think, recognized this was because he he himself was a man of power and of authority. He was a military leader in the most powerful empire in the history of the world up to that point. And being a centurion, he had 100 soldiers that he was directly responsible for. He understood what it meant to have authority. Like he said, when he told one of his men to do something, it happened. So after watching the miraculous works of Jesus and hearing his teaching, this centurion recognized that Jesus also possessed authority and power. An authority and a power that far surpassed his. So this is the first thing I want you to remember today about this story. Jesus is powerful. He is powerful. 
Jesus said this about himself as he ascended into heaven. In Matthew 28, 18, he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You know, I feel like sometimes we forget just how powerful God is. We water him down sometimes to this wimpy caricature of himself or to a picture of a grumpy old man or in our society just an irrelevant, archaic concept that has been disproven by science and is of no relevance to modern life besides being some sort of hopeful symbolism that's helpful for some. But our God, he is no slouch. He is no wimp. He is no grump. He is not just a symbol. He is not irrelevant. He is the one true God. And all authority in heaven and on earth is his. And when the one true God decides to do something, absolutely nothing can get in his way. For instance... When God decided right in the middle of the Garden of Eden that not only would he spare humanity from certain destruction, but that he would ultimately find a way to save humanity from themselves. When he spoke out that promise in the Garden of Eden, in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, God came through with the goods. God is powerful. When he says something, it happens. I'm going to show you something that you can't um, look at with your eyes. Not here, but outside. This is the sun. Don't look at the sun with your eyes for obvious reasons. But you can look at this picture. This is the sun. And the sun, for those of you who don't know, because we haven't seen it for a number of weeks, (laughs) the sun is a giant ball of exploding gases and fire that is hovering in outer space. Technically, it's referred to as a yellow dwarf star, which makes it a mid-sized star. As a mid-sized star, it is around 1,392,000 kilometres in diameter. These numbers sometimes mean nothing to me. I could be speaking in French. I don't know what a million kilometres looks like. So uh, maybe this might help. It's so big, you could put, you could fit, if you had them, 1.3 million Earths inside of it. I can't even imagine what 1.3 million looks like, but it's a lot. A lot of Earths fit inside this big exploding ball of fire that is just hovering above our heads. Now, it is so big that it pulls um, eight decent-sized planets around itself, plus a bunch of dwarf planets, which are so ridiculously far away, I can't even begin to describe the distance. It pulls a whole bunch of asteroids around itself as well. And at the core of the sun sun, is a massive nuclear fusion event that is releasing an incredible amount of energy that I cannot begin to describe to you, but I'm going to try. On the surface of the sun, there are these things called solar flares, which are minor explosions when it comes to the sun. So this is nothing compared to the core of the sun. These are minor explosions that happen on the surface. One solar flare gives off enough energy that is the equivalent to a simultaneous explosion of a million one hundred megaton hydrogen bombs. Again, numbers that don't make any sense. Let me try and help us out again. So the explosion of just one, one 100 megaton hydrogen bomb, if we were to set one off, say, at 100 kilometres away from here, so we'll set it off on the central coast because, you know. (laughs) It's true, though. 
if we set it off over there, not only wouldn't it be missed, no, uh, not, no, lovely place, the Central Coast, wonderful to drive through. Um, if you, if you set off a, a 100 megaton hydrogen bomb uh, on the Central Coast, uh, which is about 100 kilometres away, we would all get third degree burns. If you set it off 900 kilometres away, so say in Brisbane, we might not get those burns, but every single uh, bit of glass here would shatter from 900 kilometres away. So one solar flare is the equivalent to a million of those bombs going off, and that's just on the surface of the sun. So the reason why I'm mentioning this is that I want you to consider that this great big ball of fire was created by the simple words of our God. He said, let there be light, and then this star and billions of others started exploding with a ferocious amount of energy right on cue. Our God's words are powerful. He carries real power. The book of Isaiah describes the power of God's words this way. Isaiah 55, 10 to 11 says this, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I I sent it. Some of us really need to hear this today. Your God is powerful, more powerful than the situation that you may find yourself in, more powerful than your feelings of hopelessness and despair. When he speaks, great big balls of fire burst into existence. And when he speaks, there is healing. God is powerful. When he speaks, things happen. The next point I want to draw out of this story, we're going to have a look at the context of the Gospel of Luke a little. Now, context is important. Context helps us from getting a little bit lost. Um, lost is how I felt in year 11 maths uh, before I got a maths tutor. And um, our maths teacher, who was lovely, she would stand at the front and she would teach us the concept it was either in Mandarin or Hindi, one or the other, because I couldn't understand. <laughs> and then um, she would tell us to open our books and start working through some exercises. And I would look around at everyone to say, what a joke, you know? Anyone, and everyone would be busy writing and doing it. And, uh, and my stomach would sink. I don't want anyone to feel like that tonight when we're talking about stories from the Bible. So I'm going to give a bit of context. And in this context, I want to draw out this second point about God's power. So we are presently in the Gospel of Luke, which is the third or four Gospels that you will find in the beginning of the New Testament of the Bible. Uh, the Gospels are the four biographical accounts of Jesus' life, death and resurrection. So the ministry of God when he was here in the flesh on earth. Now, the Gospel of Luke is an interesting one because um, uh, Luke wasn't one of the disciples. He was um, an early convert to Christianity, and he was a doctor by trade. And uh, he ended up ministering with uh, a lot of the members of the early church, most notably Paul, um, who started, you know, a bazillion churches across Europe. That's not an accurate figure, but you get the idea. He was a bit of a gun, Paul. 
and Luke ministered with him. And uh, during some time in this period, Luke decided to write down all that he'd heard and uh, witnessed from Jesus' followers and from the people of the time about Jesus' life, uh, death and resurrection. And he followed it up with a sequel called the Book of Acts, which you'll find after the Gospels in the New Testament. Now, something interesting about Luke is that it is the first book of the Bible that we know of to be written by someone who isn't Jewish. Now, he's not the first non-Jewish or Gentile uh, hero or character in the Bible. There's plenty of them. Uh, There's Ruth, Rahab, Zipporah, Uriah, and Melchizedek. You could also argue Noah as well. But as a non-Jewish author, he brings a bit of a different emphasis to the account of the life of Jesus. Because Luke places a specific emphasis on Jesus being the saviour for everybody, not just the Jewish people. I'm going to say that again because this is the second thing that you need to remember today, and that is that Jesus is the saviour for everybody. Now Luke actually makes this point clear right from the start of his gospel. Now the gospel of Matthew starts by tracing Jesus' ancestry through the generations to Abraham, who is the father of the Jewish people. Whereas the gospel of Luke in chapter 3 starts by tracing Jesus' ancestry through to Adam, who is the father of all people. Luke emphasizes both here and then throughout his gospel that Jesus is the saviour for everybody. Now, in this story in Luke 7, there's this emphasis on this fact as well. The centurion in question is Roman. Uh, he was not a Jewish man. Uh, he would have grown up worshipping a bunch of gods in a religion sometimes referred to as Numa, gods such as Jupiter, Vulcan, Diana, and even Caesar himself. Somewhere along the line, this centurion decided that um, the Jewish god, he was it. Um, he looked like the best bet. But it shouldn't surprise us that uh, God God chose to reveal his power and authority in Jesus or give some of the revelation of that to an outsider for the first time because Jesus is the saviour for everybody. Insiders and outsiders. Whichever you feel you are, Jesus is the saviour for everybody. Some of you really need to hear this today, so I'm going to labor on it a little, okay? You might be struggling uh, financially at the moment, unsure of how to make ends meet. Well, Jesus is your saviour. And you may be practicing another religion. You might be meditating and following other practices and feeling just fine. Can I tell you that Jesus is your saviour? You may be deeply ashamed of things that you've done. Perhaps you're ashamed of your sexual behavior or that you've kept secrets and lied to those close to you. Jesus is your savior. You may be sick with a terminal disease and wrestling with the reality that this year might be your last on earth. Jesus is your savior too. Wherever you are, whatever your background, and whether you know Jesus or not today, Jesus is your savior. He's got the goods. He's got the power to save you, to heal you and to bring you to life in all of its fullness. He is a saviour for everybody. He's completely qualified, has all the power to save everybody. I want you to imagine something for me. I want you to imagine that you're driving your car somewhere out in the countryside. And as you drive your car, there is a bit of a bang and some smoke comes out from under the hood and your car stops. So you pull over, you get out of the car, 
you lift up the bonnet, you have a look under there, you have no idea what's blown up and what's gone wrong, and then you, um, you slouch down beside your car and you have a little cry. <laughs> so you're sitting there next to the car when you notice something up on the horizon. There's a figure walking down the road. And as they get closer, you start to, starts to form up and your, your heart sort of fills with hope, you know, I'm saved. And as you blink away tears and you focus in on that figure on the horizon, you recognise who it is. It's me. <laughs> if you were hoping for me to come and rescue you, um, you would be bitterly disappointed in this circumstance. Because I can assure you that I am probably the last person that you want to have find you in this situation. In fact, you're probably now in a worse situation now than you were to begin with. There's now going to be two people crying beside the side of the car. The only good I am to you is if you need someone to pray for you or um, to offer you emotional support. And that's, that's about it. I am trained as a psychologist, not as a mechanic, and you can tell by my soft, silky office hands that I, I am no good in the bonnet of a car. Now, why am I telling you this? Because in this story, we have someone who is qualified to save us. Jesus, through the faith of the centurion, makes it clear that he is qualified to save us from our trouble. And he is qualified because he has complete power and authority over everything. When our lives are broken down and busted up and have come to a complete standstill, we have a Saviour who shows up and is qualified to save us. He will not disappoint because he has all authority and all power to save us. Jesus is the Saviour for everybody. I'm going to end with one last point on the power of Jesus from this story. Not only does Jesus have all power and authority, not only is his redemptive rescuing power for everyone, but lastly, you don't have to deserve his power to experience it. You don't have to deserve God's power in your life in order to experience it. The story in Luke 7 starts off with the Jewish leaders approaching Jesus to ask for a healing. Now, this is unusual. In, in the Gospels, you don't see the Jewish leaders approaching Jesus for a healing. Generally, they approach him to criticize him because he has done a healing, or it's to try and trick him or trap him with a question, which never works. They never come and ask him for a healing, but in this case, they do. In verse 4, we read that when they, the Jewish leaders, came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. This man deserves to have you do this. This explains some of their mindset. The main reason that they give for asking for a healing is because they feel that this man deserves it. See, although he's a Roman and a high-ranking military officer in the army that has conquered them, he has built their synagogue and has protected their religion. So in their mind, this man has paid his dues. Uh, do right by God and his people, and God will do right by you. It's almost like the notion of karma. One good deed deserves another. But here's the thing. If you're owed something and someone gives it to you, where's the power in that? 
if you rent my house off of me and I ask you for the rent money, have you really done anything that powerful by giving me what I'm already owed? Probably not. But as Jesus gets closer, the centurion sends a friend out to stop Jesus. And what is the first thing that he says to Jesus? He says, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. The centurion recognized the nature of, God, of Jesus' work. He didn't come to give us what we were owed, but to give us what we did not deserve. He realized that healing only comes from a God who has the power to give good things to people who do not deserve it. You do not deserve God's love. You don't need to deserve his power in your life. You don't need to deserve his miracles, his healing, his guidance, his forgiveness from sin, his Holy Spirit living inside of you. You don't need to deserve any of those things from God in order for him to give them to you. God's love is so powerful that he acts when we don't deserve him to. All he waits for is an invitation, an invitation that says, I know who you are and I know what you can do. So God, why don't you do something powerful in my life? Jesus is powerful. Jesus is the saviour for everybody. And Jesus will work powerfully in your life, even though you don't deserve it. How good is that? How much do you like Jesus knowing that about him? Gosh, he gives me what I don't deserve. I don't have to earn it. He just gives it because that's who he is and he has all power and authority to do it. If he wants to give it, he can give it. And who's going to argue with him? He's got all authority. If he wants to do that, he can do it and he does. What a God. I start off my message today talking about fear and Incidentally, I'm a bit of a changed man when it comes to my movie selections now. The most frightening thing I saw recently in a movie, I was watching the CGI remake of Lady and the Tramp. <laughs> and there's a, there's a scene where uh, Tramp is trying to rescue Lady from the dog catcher and he gets rolled by this wagon. It's very frightening. I thought we lost him. Then what happened was uh, there's this scene where the dog catcher picks him up and says, right, you mangy mutt, you're coming back to the, the pound. And Mrs. Deer, who's the, the owner of Lady, says, oh, you can't take him. And he says, yes, I can. It's a homeless dog. You know, he's got, no one owns him. I'm taking him back to the pound. And she says, he's not homeless, he's ours. And I cried like a baby. <laughs> I haven't sobbed like that in a long time. I think I'm a changed man. I also had COVID at the time, so maybe it was a sinus thing. I don't know, but that's what I, that's what I told myself. But I just sobbed and sobbed. You know, actually, I think I was thinking about that, and I thought about how actually that's what that's what God does for us, isn't it? You know, He says, "No, He's not a He's not a homeless mangy mutt. He's mine. He's in my family. He's with me." That's what He's done for all of us. You don't get that from a horror film. You get that from Lady and the Tramp. <laughs> it's a good movie. I'd highly recommend it. Anyway, I started off today talking about fear. Now, there are some names and some ideas that have been keeping people in this room in fear. COVID is one of those. Vladimir Putin is another. Depression is another. Unemployment 
is another. Cancer is another. Can I tell you that regardless of how your life is playing out, there is one name that is above them all. And that is the name of Jesus. And he has all the power to rescue you, all the power to redeem you, and all the power to draw you into wholeness and into eternity with himself. Our God is powerful. So to finish today, what's been on my heart is to declare the name of Jesus and the power of Jesus over whatever has held power over you in recent times. I rattled off a few, but that's not an exhaustive list. There's all sorts of things, broken relationships, shame, so much stuff. And perhaps as I was uh, sharing tonight and saying about how things can have power over us and can make us feel afraid and frightened, um, something sprung immediately to your mind. And so this next bit's going to be easy for you, but for some of us, we need a bit of uh, Holy Spirit prompting. So what we're going to do is we're going to stand up all together and we're all going to close our eyes and we're just going to wait on the Holy Spirit. I'm going to um, ask Holy Spirit, would you please come now? Uh, well, you're already here. Could you continue to do what you're doing, God? And could you um, just make clear in each of our hearts what it is that we have surrendered power to or let have power in our lives? I would encourage you that as the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, bear in mind he won't make you feel like a piece of rubbish when he's bringing stuff up. The Holy Spirit is not a spirit of shame. He'll be bringing things up in kindness and in love because he wants to set you free of the effects of those things. So right now, with those things um, in our mind, and Lord, we want to thank you for bringing those things up, for showing us what has power in our life, what's got us feeling frightened, stressed, anxious. I want to invite you to open your hands if you're comfortable to do so. Just as an act of just offering those things to God. And while we're doing that, I am just going to declare the name of Jesus over every single person here. I want to declare the mighty and powerful name of Jesus over every circumstance. I want to declare the name of Jesus over every aching heart here, every heart that has been held captive by unforgiveness, every heart that has been frightened about what's going on in the world every heart that has been terrified about physical illness, every heart that has been tortured by a broken relationship, I want to bring those before you and declare the name of Jesus above every heart and every situation, the name that is above all names, the name that is mighty and has all power and all authority to heal us, to save us, to redeem us. I want to declare that name, the name of Jesus, the only name with real and mighty and awesome power that drops everyone to their knees. I want to declare that name over every heart and every circumstance here. And I want to thank you, Jesus, that yours is not an empty name that we cry out in vain, that yours is not an empty name like 
um, like a, a name of just some stranger or a name of some false god. It is the name of the one true living, all-powerful God, our mighty King and Saviour and Redeemer, Jesus. I want to thank you that there is a God behind that name who is the one true God, who is our powerful God and the God who loves His children and has literally moved heaven and earth to be with them. I want to thank you that you are the God behind that name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app that you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. Have a safe and blessed week.